for me to live is Christ. What is it for you to live today? Is it a guy, a girl, a relationship, a car, a house, possessions, things, a job, power, popularity? Paul said, when I boil my life down to the basics, when I boil my life down to the essentials, for me to live is Christ. I wonder if people would look at our lives today and say, for that person to live is Christ. The way you explain that individual's life is is Christ. That's what it is that motivates them and drives them and gives them security and a foundation, a building in which they live and on which they build from. Last week we talked about the contrast of Christianity that it is not just a crisis, it's a process, that it's not external, it's internal, that it's not to be endured, it's to be enjoyed, that it is not rules, it is a relationship. We talked about the caricature, the caricature of the Christian life, the image that some people see and judge Christianity by it, but really, it's not Christianity at all. And if people are going to reject Christianity... They need to know it for what the Bible says it is, not for the poor way that it may have been displayed in some believer. Today, I want us to look at not the contrast, but the concepts. And there are four basic concepts, four corners around which you build your life with Christ in the center of it. And there's a statement in your notes there that I want you to fill in and somehow put it in your Bible or on a mirror Put it someplace where you can come and realign. Let it be the plumb line in your life that you come back to to evaluate where you are spiritually. It is a statement by which you can determine how you're doing in your walk with God. It is a statement of fact about what the Christian life really boils down to. It is the distinguishing characteristic of Christianity above religion. And that is, the Christian life is the life of Christ. It is the life of Christ reproduced in the believer by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. It is the life of Christ reproduced in the life of the believer by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit in obedient response and submission to the Word of God. Now, when he talks about the life of Christ, he's talking about the nature of this life. When he says that it is reproduced in the believer, that is the the sphere. How is the life of Christ lived? It is reproduced. The sphere in which it is reproduced is in believers. He doesn't do it in dogs and cats and in the animal kingdom and in the physical realm. The life of Christ is reproduced. Its sphere, its realm of reproduction is in the life of the believer. And it is by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's the dynamic of it. The dynamic of our lives, what keeps us dynamic and and alive is that the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit lives within us. And And then the statement is, in obedient response and submission 
to the Word of God. That is the means of it. How does it all come about? It's by response and submission to the Word of God. The Word of God points out the living Word of God, Jesus Christ. And so the statement reads, the Christian life is the life of Christ reproduced in the believer by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit in obedient response and submission to the Word of God. Now you've got it written down there. Let's say it together. The Christian life is the life of Christ reproduced in the believer by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit in obedient response and submission to the Word of God. Let's say it again. The Christian life is the life of Christ reproduced in the believer by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit in obedient response and submission to the Word of God. Let's talk about the first part. It is the life of Christ. Turn to John chapter 15, verse 1. John 15, verse 1, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It speaks of the vine and the branch and and what we can do and cannot do as believers. John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus is speaking, and He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Look at verse 8. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Christianity is in a person, not a proposition. It is in the person of Jesus Christ. Religion is man seeking after God. Christianity is God seeking after man. From the Garden of Eden, God has been seeking man, going after man, longing to have fellowship with man. Religion is man trying to work himself up and find God in the process. Christianity is God already initiating the act of seeking so that we can find Him. The world says seeing is believing. For the Christian, believing is is seeing. We believe, thus we see. We don't have to see it to believe it. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. He said to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We haven't seen Jesus with our physical eyes, but we believe because we believe we see. You see, the Christian life is not what we do for God. It is what God does through us. And most Christians spend the bulk of their lives under a pile of guilt and bondage and hurt and pain and laying attitudes on themselves that should never be there because they have thought that Christianity was doing. Christianity is being that results in doing. It is the life of Christ it is not us doing things for God. It is making our lives available to Him as He does things through us. He said, take my yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
meet a lot of believers, and their yoke's not easy, and their burden's certainly not light, and it's because they've been trying to help God out. Now, if you understand what I'm about to say, you are light years ahead of the average Christian. The Christian life is not difficult. It is impossible. The Christian life is not difficult. Boy, it's hard for me to agree. It's hard to be a Christian. It's not difficult. It's not hard. It's impossible. That's why it's the life of Christ. You and I do not possess anything within ourselves, within our flesh, that gives us the capacity to live the Christian life. It is impossible apart from Christ. It is supernatural, working through the natural. It is not the natural trying to add on the supernatural. As we talked about last week, it is that internal. And if you understand that, if you understand that living the Christian life in your flesh and in your abilities and your power and your talents is impossible, and then understand that when the fruit of the Spirit is produced in your life, then it is possible. Then you have gone a long way towards spiritual maturity. It is not my life compared to other people. It is not me doing more than someone else. It is looking at Christ in His Word and seeing who He is and asking Him to reproduce Himself in our lives. It is the life of Christ. In Christianity, there is nothing of our flesh. We are in Christ. Christ in us. Us in Christ. We are in Him over and over, the Spirit-filled life. The Spirit-filled life is nothing but the Christ life. The Holy Spirit of God never does anything inconsistent with the Jesus Christ as He was revealed in Scripture. People talk about the Spirit-filled life and they get all kind of scares and fears about what that means. Oh gosh, if, if all our church got Spirit-filled, we'd just be out here running around and foaming at the mouth and jumping pews and swinging from the chandeliers and screaming and speaking in tongues. No, I tell you, if the whole church got Spirit-filled, we'd all look and act like Jesus. and Nobody ought to be scared of that. What did Jesus do? He said they were hungry. And if they were hungry, I was hungry. I was in prison. I was naked and you clothed me. Jesus went around healing the sick and, and ministering to people and putting salves on the wounds and the hurts of people's lives. He went around doing good. He taught as one who had authority. He set up the demands of discipleship to say, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to lay aside all this other stuff. There's nothing wild and frantic and weird about that except that our Christianity in this nation is so subnormal that if somebody lived the Christian life, they look abnormal. God wants us to live the Christian life, the Spirit-filled life. It is Christ-likeness. Too often we are so wrapped up in ourselves and in our culture, which does not encourage sacrifice. Jesus said if you want to gain your life, you give it away. If you want to lose your life, you'll keep it. That is diametrically opposed to the way this world thinks. This world thinks of hoarding things up and getting it all together and holding on to it and security and trying to find peace in the things of this world. Jesus said if you want life, give it away. In fact, he said if you want money, give it away. If you want peace, give it away to somebody else and I'll bring you more so opposed to the way that this world lives. So I want us to look at a few passages of Scripture, and if you'll turn with me to John chapter 14, verse 20, one that we looked at last week. John 14, verse 20. Jesus is speaking in John 14. And He says, In that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, 
and I in you. Someone has said that the seven most frequent words that ever fell from the lips of Jesus were these words, you in me and I in you. By the way, you can't say Christ is in you unless you can say you are in Christ. That's the Christian life. It is not saying, well, Christ is in me, so I'm a Christian. Jesus tied the two together. He said, it's Christ in you and you in me. And you and I cannot claim to have the Christian life if the life of Christ is not in us, and thus that we are in Christ. It is position and practice. It is being in Christ, but also you in me. Turn, if you would, to Philippians 1.21, for Paul applies in Philippians 1.21, John 14.20. If you want to know what Christ is talking about, if that doesn't make any sense to you, if you don't understand what he means when he says that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you, then Paul brings it to application in the life with this verse that I talked about earlier. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's Paul's statement of the Christian life. That's Paul's philosophy of living. He says, for me to live is Christ. That's the application of Christ in me, and I am in Christ. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This world is fearful of dying. We turn on the news fearful that somebody else has died. How do we take the sting of death out? When we understand that to die is gain, what Paul is saying is, for me to live is Christ, and to die is more of Christ. Paul was Christ-intoxicated. For him to live when Christ was wonderful and to die was just to experience more of who Christ was. And when you study the life of Paul, after you study the life of Jesus in the Gospels, if you go and study the life of Paul and see what he says about himself, you will discover the reality of the Christian life lived out in a person. And if it's possible for Paul, it's possible for you. By the way, there is nothing that Paul had that you don't have. Paul had all of Jesus, and Jesus had all of Paul. And the reason that we don't live in the power, the indwelling Holy Spirit, and the power of God, the reason we don't live is because Jesus has got us, but he's only got as much as us as we'll give him. See, the reason we don't have the authority and the power in our prayer life and in our witnessing today is because, oh yes, we're in Christ. But we haven't yielded every area of our life over to Him. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. It is the reality of the relationship. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. Paul is writing to believers in this great letter to the church at Ephesus. And he says in verse 16, he's praying for the believers. He's talking to Christians. He's, he's writing to Christians. And he says in Ephesians 3.16 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Notice verse 17. So that, underline this, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and your hearts that you may be rooted and grounded in love. Now here's Paul writing, and he's praying, and he's writing to Christians, and he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now, I thought when you got saved, Christ was dwelling in your heart. 
Now, he's writing to believers, and he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now, would you agree with me that when you and I became saved, that Christ took up residence in our hearts? This way is yes. This way means no. This way. We're all in agreement. We get saved, Christ comes into our life. So why is Paul talking to Christians, people who already have Christ dwelling in their heart, and he's saying that Christ may dwell in your hearts? Well, that's because the Greek word for dwell is an intensive word in the Greek. And it means that he will be at home, that he will fully dwell, that he will richly dwell, that he will take up residence in you and be completely and absolutely at home in your heart. Let me ask you, Christ is in your heart, but is he at home in your heart? Is he at home in every area of your life this morning? Is he more at home today than he was last week? Is he more at home now than he was a year ago? Has he taken up full residence? Have you given him the key to the house and to all the cabinets and made him at home? Is there any area that you've locked him out of this morning? My first summer youth job. Everybody ought to have to be a summer youth minister once in their life. It'll humble you. It'll do a lot of things to you. I lived with an elderly lady who was a member of First Baptist Church in Mariana, Florida. She had a little outside entrance. I had a little room, just big enough to put a bed and a dresser in. The dresser wasn't even big enough to hold all my clothes. Had to keep them stacked on top of the dresser most of the time. I barely had room to get out the door to the bathroom that was on the hallway. And I had to use that bathroom, and I had one shelf cleared out in the cabinet. And she told me when I started renting that room from her, she said, make yourself at home. Well, one night she was out with a friend. And I went in and I noticed, I said, hmm, how can I make myself at home when I don't even have a shelf or room to put anything of mine in this refrigerator? I have no shelves in the cabinets. I have no dishes. I don't even know where the dishes are in here. You know, she watches TV at night. She never says, come on in, watch TV. Put your feet on the table. Take your shoes off. Get some popcorn. Drop crumbs in the carpet. It doesn't matter. Get a Coke and some potato chips and just make yourself at home. How many of you have spent the night with somebody and they came in and they said, well, just make yourself at home? Friend, they didn't mean it. They didn't ask you to come down there half-dressed and prop your feet on the coffee table and watch TV to 3 o'clock in the morning or turn the stereo up as loud as you wanted to. They don't mean it when they say, make yourself at home. They mean, here's a little area over here, and if you want to stay in this room, that's fine. And we'll let you know when everything else goes on. You'll work on our calendar. You'll work on our agenda. But just remember, make yourself at home. Oh, well, good. I was thinking about taking your VCR and your TV up to my room. Now, wait a minute. We didn't want you to make yourself that much at home. You ever had anybody stay with you and they made themselves at home? And you went in and said, Honey, where are the cookies? Company ate them. Did you tell them they could eat all those cookies? Did you show them where those things were? You see, we treat the Lord like that sometimes. Come on in, Lord. Make yourself at home. Now, wait a minute, God. Not that much at home. You're getting a little too personal for me. There's some areas that I'd just soon not give you. There's some parts of my life that I don't want you to take control of. You're a little too much at home. Now, here's the principle of all of that. You will never get more of Jesus than you got when you were saved. 
but Jesus can get a whole lot more of you. You're never going to get any more. People running around looking for a second blessing and a third blessing and a fifteenth blessing. Listen, you got it all when you got saved. The problem is you haven't given it all back to Him that He wanted when He saved you. God comes into our lives to get more of us, to take over our marriage and our homes and our families and our relationships and our business and our job, our tongues. Every aspect of our lives, no room locked off, no room barred from His presence, but that He is home and He has made residence in our life. First of all, it is the life of Christ. Secondly, it is reproduced in the life of the believer. Reproduced in the life of the believer. And that just amazes me that the miracle of the Christian life is that He has allowed us to be His representatives in this generation. Does it ever blow your mind to think of the fact that in the soil of your life, God can plant and grow and bring to fruition and maturity and bear a full harvest of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? That's why He saved you, to reproduce the life of Christ in your life. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. And just stay there in 2 Corinthians. We'll be there for the rest of the hour. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if pastors and missionaries are in Christ, they are new creations. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. I wonder what that says in the Greek. It says, therefore, if what? What? Any man, any man, woman, boy, girl, young person is in Christ. That's what we've been talking about. Is in Christ. They are a new creation, a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. Here's what he said. If you become in Christ, the crisis, the moment you accepted Christ, Christ is working in your life to make all things that were old out of your life to bring all new things into your life. It is the crisis and the process. It will take the rest of our lives to live out 2 Corinthians 5.17, but it is saying to us that Christianity is not static, it's dynamic. There is a life that is to be lived in. Christ wants to take control and make all things new. That's not just a promise for the saints. That's not just a promise for the Mother Teresas of this world. That's a promise for everybody that claims the name of Christ. He can make all things new in our lives. There is no such thing in our lives as a religion department. It's all His. He makes all things new. And what He does is He comes to us in worship services and in our prayer time and in our quiet time, our personal Bible studies, Sunday school classes, conferences, as we listen to tapes, as we listen to Christian music, as we spend time listening to the voice of God. God comes to us and says, For me to live is Christ. What is it for you to live today? Is it a guy, a girl, a relationship, a car, a house, possessions, things, a job, power, popularity? Paul said, when I boil my life down to the basics, when I boil my life down to the essentials, for me to live 
is Christ. I wonder if people would look at our lives today and say, for that person to live is Christ. The way you explain that individual's life is, is Christ. That's what it is that motivates them and drives them and gives them security and a foundation, a building in which they live and on which they build from. Last week we talked about the contrast of Christianity. That it is not just a crisis, it's a process. That it's not external, it's internal. That it's not to be endured, it's to be enjoyed. That it is not rules, it is a relationship. We talked about the caricature, the caricature of the Christian life. The image that some people see and judge Christianity by it, but really, it's not Christianity at all. And if people are going to reject Christianity, they need to know it for what the Bible says it is, not for the poor way that it may have been displayed in some believer. Today, I want us to look at not the contrast, but the concepts. And there are four basic concepts, four corners around which you build your life with Christ in the center of it. And there's a statement in your notes there that I want you to fill in and somehow put it in your Bible or on a mirror. Put it someplace where you can come and realign. Let it be the plumb line in your life that you come back to to evaluate where you are spiritually. It is a statement by which you can determine how you're doing in your walk with God. It is a statement of fact about what the Christian life really boils down to. It is the distinguishing characteristic of Christianity above religion. And that is, the Christian life is the life of Christ. It is the life of Christ reproduced in the believer by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. It is the life of Christ reproduced in the life of the believer by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit in obedient response and submission to the Word of God. Now, when he talks about the life of Christ, he's talking about the nature of this life. When he says that it is reproduced in the believer, that is the, the sphere. How is the life of Christ lived? It is reproduced. The sphere in which it is reproduced is in believers. He doesn't do it in dogs and cats and in the animal kingdom and in the physical realm. The life of Christ is reproduced. Its sphere, its realm of reproduction is in the life of the believer. And it is by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's the dynamic of it. The dynamic of our life, what keeps us dynamic and, and alive is that the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit lives within us. And, he, and then the statement is, in obedient response and submission to the Word of God. That is the means of it. How does it all come about? It's by response and submission to the Word of God. The Word of God points out the living Word of God, Jesus Christ. And so the statement reads, the Christian life is the life of Christ reproduced in the believer by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit in obedient response and submission to the Word of God. Now you've got it written down there. Let's say it together. The Christian life of, is the life of Christ reproduced in the believer by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit 
in obedient response and submission to the Word of God. Let's say it again. The Christian life is the life of Christ reproduced in the believer by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit in obedient response and submission to the Word of God. Let's talk about the first part. It is the life of Christ. Turn to John chapter 15, verse 1. John 15, verse 1, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It speaks of the vine and the branch and, and what we can do and cannot do as believers. John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus is speaking, and He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Look at verse 8. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Christianity is in a person, not a proposition. It is in the person of Jesus Christ. Religion is man seeking after God. Christianity is God seeking after man. From the Garden of Eden, God has been seeking man, going after man, longing to have fellowship with man. Religion is man trying to work himself up and find God in the process. Christianity is God already initiating the act of seeking so that we can find Him. The world says seeing is believing. For the Christian, believing is seeing. We believe, thus we see. We don't have to see it to believe it. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. He said to Thomas, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We haven't seen Jesus with our physical eyes, but we believe because we believe we see. You see, the Christian life is not what we do for God. It is what God does through us. And most Christians spend the bulk of their lives under a pile of guilt and bondage and hurt and pain and laying attitudes on themselves that should never be there because they have thought that Christianity was doing. Christianity is being that results in doing. It is the life of Christ it is not us doing things for God. It is making our lives available to Him as He does things through us. He said, take my yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You meet a lot of believers and their yoke's not easy and their burden's certainly not light. And it's because they've been trying to help God out. Now, if you understand what I'm about to say, you are light years ahead of the average Christian. The Christian life is not difficult. It is impossible. The Christian life is not difficult. Boy, it's hard for me to agree. It's hard to be a Christian. It's not difficult. It's not hard. It's impossible. 
That's why it's the life of Christ. You and I do not possess anything within ourselves, within our flesh, that gives us the capacity to live the Christian life. It is impossible apart from Christ. It is supernatural, working through the natural. It is not the natural trying to add on the supernatural. As we talked about last week, it is that internal. And if you understand that, if you understand that living the Christian life in your flesh and in your abilities and your power and your talents is impossible, and then understand that when the fruit of the Spirit is produced in your life, then it is possible. Then you have gone a long way towards spiritual maturity. It is not my life compared to other people. It is not me doing more than someone else. It is looking at Christ in His Word and seeing who He is and asking Him to reproduce Himself in our lives. It is the life of Christ. In Christianity, there is nothing of our flesh. We are in Christ. Christ in us. Us in Christ. We are in Him over and over the Spirit-filled life. The Spirit-filled life is nothing but the Christ life. The Holy Spirit of God never does anything inconsistent with the Jesus Christ as He was revealed in Scripture. People talk about the Spirit-filled life and they get all kind of scares and fears about what that means. Oh gosh, if, if all our church got Spirit-filled, we'd just be out here running around and foaming at the mouth and jumping pews and swinging from the chandeliers and screaming and speaking in tongues. No, I tell you, if the whole church got Spirit-filled, we'd all look and act like Jesus. and Nobody ought to be scared of that. What did Jesus do? He said they were hungry. And if they were hungry, I was hungry. I was in prison. I was naked and you clothed me. Jesus went around healing the sick and, and ministering to people and putting salves on the wounds and the hurts of people's lives. He went around doing good. He taught as one who had authority. He set up the demands of discipleship to say, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to lay aside all this other stuff. There's nothing wild and frantic and weird about that except that our Christianity in this nation is so subnormal that if somebody lived the Christian life, they look abnormal. God wants us to live the Christian life, the Spirit-filled life. It is Christ-likeness. Too often we are so wrapped up in ourselves and in our culture which does not encourage sacrifice. Jesus said if you want to gain your life, you give it away. If you want to lose your life, you'll keep it. That is diametrically opposed to the way this world thinks. This world thinks of hoarding things up and getting it all together and holding on to it and security and trying to find peace in the things of this world. Jesus said if you want life, give it away. In fact, he said if you want money, give it away. If you want peace, give it away to somebody else and I'll bring you more so opposed to the way that this world lives. So I want us to look at a few passages of Scripture, and if you'll turn with me to John chapter 14, verse 20, one that we looked at last week. John 14, verse 20. Jesus is speaking in John 14. And he says, In that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Someone has said that the seven most frequent words that ever fell from the lips of Jesus were these words, you in me and I in you. By the way, you can't say Christ is in you unless you can say you are in Christ. That's the Christian life. It is not saying, well, Christ is in me, so I'm a Christian. 
Jesus tied the two together. He said, it's Christ in you and you in me. And you and I cannot claim to have the Christian life if the life of Christ is not in us, and thus that we are in Christ. It is position and practice. It is being in Christ, but also you in me. Turn, if you would, to Philippians 1.21, for Paul applies in Philippians 1.21, John 14.20. If you want to know what Christ is talking about, if that doesn't make any sense to you, if you don't understand what he means when he says that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you, then Paul brings it to application in the life with this verse that I talked about earlier. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's Paul's statement of the Christian life. That's Paul's philosophy of living. He says, for me to live is Christ. That's the application of Christ in me and I'm in Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This world is fearful of dying. We turn on the news fearful that somebody else has died. How do we take the sting of death out? When we understand that to die is gain, what Paul is saying is, for me to live is Christ and to die is more of Christ. Paul was Christ-intoxicated. For him to live when Christ was wonderful and to die was just to experience more of who Christ was. And when you study the life of Paul, after you study the life of Jesus in the Gospels, if you go and study the life of Paul and see what he says about himself, you will discover the reality of the Christian life lived out in a person. And if it's possible for Paul, it's possible for you. By the way, there is nothing that Paul had that you don't have. Paul had all of Jesus, and Jesus had all of Paul. And the reason that we don't live in the power, the indwelling Holy Spirit, and the power of God, the reason we don't live is because Jesus has got us, but He's only got as much as us as we'll give Him. See, the reason we don't have the authority and the power in our prayer life and in our witnessing today is because, oh yes, we're in Christ. But we haven't yielded every area of our life over to Him. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. It is the reality of the relationship. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. Paul is writing to believers in this great letter to the church at Ephesus. And he says in verse 16, he's praying for the believers. He's talking to Christians. He's, he's writing to Christians. And he says in Ephesians 3.16 that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. Notice verse 17. So that, underline this, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And your hearts that you may be rooted and grounded in love. Now here's Paul writing, and he's praying, and he's writing to Christians, and he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now, I thought when you got saved, Christ was dwelling in your heart. Now, he's writing to believers, and he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now, would you agree with me that when you and I became saved, that Christ took up residence in our hearts? This way is yes. This way means no. This way, we're all in agreement. We get saved, Christ comes into our life. So why is Paul talking to Christians, people who already have Christ dwelling in their heart, and he's saying that Christ may dwell in your hearts? 
Well, that's because the Greek word for dwell is an intensive word in the Greek. And it means that he will be at home, that he will fully dwell, that he will richly dwell, that he will take up residence in you and be completely and absolutely at home in your heart. Let me ask you, Christ is in your heart, but is he at home in your heart? Is he at home in every area of your life this morning? Is he more at home today than he was last week? Is he more at home now than he was a year ago? Has he taken up full residence? Have you given him the key to the house and to all the cabinets and made him at home? Is there any area that you've locked him out of this morning? My first summer youth job. Everybody ought to have to be a summer youth minister once in their life. It'll humble you. It'll do a lot of things to you. I lived with an elderly lady who was a member of First Baptist Church in Mariana, Florida. She had a little outside entrance. I had a little room, just big enough to put a bed and a dresser in. The dresser wasn't even big enough to hold all my clothes. Had to keep them stacked on top of the dresser most of the time. I barely had room to get out the door to the bathroom that was on the hallway. And I had to use that bathroom, and I had one shelf cleared out in the cabinet. And she told me when I started renting that room from her, she said, make yourself at home. Well, one night she was out with a friend. And I went in and I noticed, I said, hmm, how can I make myself at home when I don't even have a shelf or room to put anything of mine in this refrigerator? I have no shelves in the cabinets. I have no dishes. I don't even know where the dishes are in here. You know, she watches TV at night. She never says, come on in, watch TV. Put your feet on the table. Take your shoes off. Get some popcorn. Drop crumbs in the carpet. It doesn't matter. Get a Coke and some potato chips and just make yourself at home. How many of you have spent the night with somebody and they came in and they said, well, just make yourself at home? Friend, they didn't mean it. They didn't ask you to come down there half-dressed and prop your feet on the coffee table and watch TV to 3 o'clock in the morning or turn the stereo up as loud as you wanted to. They don't mean it when they say, make yourself at home. They mean, here's a little area over here, and if you want to stay in this room, that's fine. And we'll let you know when everything else goes on. You'll work on our calendar. You'll work on our agenda. But just remember, make yourself at home. Oh, well, good. I was thinking about taking your VCR and your TV up to my room. Now, wait a minute. We didn't want you to make yourself that much at home. You ever had anybody stay with you and they made themselves at home? And you went in and said, Honey, where are the cookies? Company ate them. Did you tell them they could eat all those cookies? Did you show them where those things were? You see, we treat the Lord like that sometimes. Come on in, Lord. Make yourself at home. Now, wait a minute, God. Not that much at home. You're getting a little too personal for me. There's some areas that I'd just soon not give you. There's some parts of my life that I don't want you to take control of. You're a little too much at home. Now, here's the principle of all of that. You will never get more of Jesus than you got when you were saved. But Jesus can get a whole lot more of you. You're never going to get any more. People running around looking for a second blessing and a third blessing and a 15th blessing. Listen, you got it all when you got saved. The problem is you haven't given it all back to him that he wanted when he saved you. 
God comes into our lives to get more of us, to take over our marriage and our homes and our families and our relationships and our business and our job, our tongues. Every aspect of our lives, no room locked off, no room barred from His presence, but that He is home and He has made residence in our life. First of all, it is the life of Christ. Secondly, it is reproduced in the life of the believer. Reproduced in the life of the believer. And that just amazes me that the miracle of the Christian life is that He has allowed us to be His representatives in this generation. Does it ever blow your mind to think of the fact that in the soil of your life, God can plant and grow and bring to fruition and maturity and bear a full harvest of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? That's why He saved you, to reproduce the life of Christ in your life. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. And just stay there in 2 Corinthians. We'll be there for the rest of the hour. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if pastors and missionaries are in Christ, they are new creations. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. I wonder what that says in the Greek. It says, therefore, if what? What? Any man, any man, woman, boy, girl, young person is in Christ. That's what we've been talking about. Is in Christ. They are a new creation, a new creature. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. Here's what he said. If you become in Christ, the crisis, the moment you accepted Christ, Christ is working in your life to make all things that were old out of your life to bring all new things into your life. It is the crisis and the process. It will take the rest of our lives to live out 2 Corinthians 5.17, but it is saying to us that Christianity is not static, it's dynamic. There is a life that is to be lived in. Christ wants to take control and make all things new. That's not just a promise for the saints. That's not just a promise for the Mother Teresas of this world. That's a promise for everybody that claims the name of Christ. He can make all things new in our lives. There is no such thing in our lives as a religion department. It's all His. He makes all things new. And what He does is He comes to us in worship services and in our prayer time and in our quiet time, our personal Bible study, Sunday school classes, conferences, as we listen to tapes, as we listen to Christian music, as we spend time listening to the voice of God. God comes to us and says,